Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. The idea of the, you know, I mean, is improvisation. I guess that that's the jazz element is like trying to be a true improviser and play changes coherently and melodically and be singing with the guitar. So, you know, that's the thing. Finding this kind of raw Wu-Tang soup of like, yeah, it's me playing all the instruments, but like somehow keeping some wild inspiration in the moment in there you know which is first takes usually the best for for that kind of thing you know so that's what's nice about the tape it's like okay do the first take leave it come back to it later because it's just good enough you know just like yeah okay i gotta stop that's it okay that's good enough like oh there's things that i'm like oh god i can't hear it but i'm but i'm proud of that one that one you know i think it says what i want to say Welcome concert goers and music fanatics. My name is Lance Ingram and in this encore episode of Yesterday's Concert, Ryan Scott discusses his incredible solo album, A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. Grab your earplugs as we get the full story. Well, I'm here with the amazing Ryan Scott, and we're going to talk a little bit about his fantastic top five favorite album for me, uh, a, Bro- a Freak Rose in Brooklyn album. We're also going to talk a little bit, a little bit, a little bit about live music. But to get started, we want to do some establishing credibility. We want to re- do a quick Q and A with him just to get to know him real fast. So, Ryan, first question: Welcome to the show. First off, glad to have you, you here. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness! Thank you for your kind words. Awesome. Well, I got a lot more in store, man. So get ready. So first quick question. First song you learned to play on the guitar. Good question. Uh, It might've been, this is really silly, but like this land is your land, but it was a arrangement, a finger picking arrangement 
Okay, that that takes the cool notch up like five points. So you good know, job. I might have been freight train or so. You know what? Uh, which I yeah. Honest, I don't know who wrote that, but some finger style. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So that's good stuff. Yeah, I would okay. say that's probably the first. Okay, good good answer. First song you wrote. Hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, probably some weird jazz compositions in high school for the Reno Jazz Festival for our combo to play. That's a cool answer. No, that's a really cool answer. <laughs> I dig that one. I really dig that one. And finish, finish songs, you know, something. No, no, no. Yeah, play. yeah, for sure. Right. That's great. So what was the first song you ever recorded? Uh, well, I guess, yeah, recorded in what way? Or just in a, in a studio or, yeah. Oh, I guess that you do a lot oh, of your own stuff. Actually, yeah. So No, that's an easy answer. We hit our teenage blues band. I was working, my buddy Rogers Masson had a studio close to where I live and I was dead. So we made a demo there. That was the first studio. Are you proud of that demo? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, for a 12 year old, it's pretty funny. I mean, it's pretty, you, and actually you can hear things about, you know, something in the guitar that still is there. I mean, you know, a lot yeah. less refined, but, uh. <laughs> I have it. I have. So I might have to send that over to you. <laughs> Dude, I, I want to check that out. You're like, I'm so enticed right now. I got to check this out. This is awesome. <laughs> I mean, lower your expectations as low as I could go. And then it might, you know, you might be like, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, okay. So if you could open up for any artist out there, who would you open up for? D'Angelo. Uh, that's a sick answer. That's a great answer. Okay. So Thank what's you. your favorite? I know you're a jazz guy. So what's your favorite jazz album? I, that that's almost an impossible question but what what's your current favorite jazz album i mean uh, i'll i'll say this i had a thought about one of my most favorite jazz albums and i thought about it it popped into my head today for some reason was hank mobley's soul station oh that's a fantastic one fantastic oh. I'm loving your answers. You're making me fall more in love with you with every answer you give me. This is but that's great. hard. I mean, I can't, you know, I'm trying to think about like what, if there's a jazz record that I've listened to, I don't know. It's like, I'm not listening, listening to so much right now. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, soul station, I'll go with that. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. So if you had a time machine and miles Davis approached you today and was like, go back in time to any period of my career and let's jam together. What period would you jam with Miles Davis? On the corner, for sure. Oh, gosh. That's a great one, too. That's a great one. Man. These all, Somehow I've thought about all these things. <laughs> Not about them, but like right on the corner. I, I just finished Alan Leeds' book. Uh, I forget. I'm totally yeah i know which one you're talking about I'm, I'm blanking on it too and so you know whatever i'm just talking about on the corner like he saw james brown and the, the next record was on the corner like yeah fucking on the corner man i'm oh, sorry yeah Is no it's good. We, okay you're good uh, no yeah. that's a great one i could see you fitting in well on that one too like your style and well, everything I, I also say it because there's there's no real you know i don't want to get in with the quintet and try yeah to <laughs> fucking do that you know so on the corner, the chord changes are gonna be easy i could yeah just funk around 
Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, so here's the last one. What's one guitar lick that you wish you could have written? Uh, well, that's a difficult because licks. The term lick is a kind of yeah. It's used a little frivolously. Oh, I'm like, oh, no, it's not licks. I mean, I try to yes. not do, but I guess what's I guess a riff is that a yeah, more ri- yeah terminology? Riff. Totally, Let's say no, riff. Not to be a total. No, 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 no. You're good. This is what you do, man. This is what you do. Just if we're talking about it, then it's like, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Well, okay, let's rephrase. What's one guitar riff that you wish you could have written? Uh, I mean, Little Miss Lover. Mm. I'm kind of giving myself away because there's a song that I'm working on kind of close to that also. But, but you know, I put that on like, yeah, oh, it just... So another thing that makes me think of Albert King. I think my real answer is Albert King. Uh, I love Lucy. Okay. The beginning of that, when they hit that, I mean, yeah, that's a riff. The yeah, that that thing makes me explode when I hear it every time. Like it just blows your mind. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one. I love Lucy. That's perfect, man. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for accommodating me on those. Uh, just fun. like to run that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. Like I said, this is a top five favorite album of mine. Had it on repeat. Uh, I've been listening to it for a couple of years now. I want to know about you've been a pro musician for 20 years, according to your website. Right. Do you have more albums just hidden away? Because this is your debut, according to all the streaming platforms right. and everything. So do you have more albums out there? What are you hiding from us? Where's no, this extra Ryan no, Scott goodness? No, there's no more albums out there. Definitely. Uh, yeah, there's there's some other ones. There's some other ones. They're kind of embarrassing. I mean. What's wrong with them? Just like not music that I would make or the way things went after. They're just kind of jazzy and uh, the songs don't make sense i mean you know what no they're for so i made one when i was 21 it's called five o'clock news i think every the the couple one of them just came down i saw you know and i don't really own the masters of any of these Mm -hmm. which is part of the why it hasn't been connected if i'm totally honest yeah Uh, then i signed to this label velour records that was like soul live and it was a new york thing at the time and kind of remade that record again kind of a lot of the same songs it was a weird thing when i think Mm -hmm. about it so that's called smoke and licorice which was up on spotify but just came down i haven't been able to reach those guys in like 13 years so uh but i have a couple cds and are all these are these all Ryan Scott solo projects or are these part of groups? Well, the first they it was me with bands with my okay. friends playing drums, bass. I mean, you know, it's like I yeah I play guitars and say my yeah I mean they're Ryan Scott they say Ryan mm-hmm. Scott on them, but it wasn't me playing all the instruments exactly. I got uh, you. And then you know I put out like a self made little EP called Demonstration Record, which is on Bandcamp still. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably ten years ago, eight years ago. Okay. So there's some other things, but this this one's like, I figured it out. That says it. That says 
who I, that's who I am. The other ones is like, yeah, you know, a jazzy kid trying to figure out. Something. So this is the one you feel best represents you as an artist and a musician. Yeah, this is like the debut of what I really am. I guess I would say, if I could. Well, that was one of my questions when I listened to this album versus when I researched you is you you have a very strong jazz background based on everything I've read and listened and heard about you. And this is a rock album. I mean, funk and soul, it incorporates a lot. So why, why did you choose to go with a rock album for your debut quote unquote album? Well, I guess, you know, when I was a kid, I was a blues kid. I was a Stevie Ray Vaughan obsessed learning every solo note for note, 13 year old, 12, 13, 14. And we had a band and we'd play in bars like the kid, ba- the, the, you know, uh, novelty kid band in Monterey, California. So that was the guitar, th- you know, and then I met my jazz mentor that kept pushing, like, you got to learn bebop. His name's Bruce Foreman. He's one of the best jazz guitar players. And, you know, I owe him everything. Uh, and I was like, no, I don't want, I don't want to, I want you to play one note with like super <laughs> sweet controlled vibrato or whatever, you know, the trip I was on. So it's really, you know, it's kind of like I was already becoming who I am in a way. Uh, and then by the end of high school, you know, in our blues band, we were playing around Monterey and like doing the Monterey Blues Festival, like whatever little things came around, New Year's gigs and, but there was a, yeah, there was a jazz education program in Monterey that was heavy because of the Monterey Jazz Festival, which is one of the best ones. Uh, so I was getting that at the same time after being blues obsessed and guitar obsessed, you know, kind of was like Steve Vai, Metallica, just like that. And then I got rid of that, went blues, and then it was just Albert King, Freddie King, BB all day, forever. And then, yeah, like end of high school, decided, yeah, I wanted to be a jazz guy, kind of, but like not in mm-hmm. a, not in an archtoppy way. Like Bill Frizzell was my hero when I was sixteen, and you know Schofield. I had periods of uh, Schofield, when I sounded Schofield. like Schofield in high school, and then no, I went Bill Frizzell. Uh, so then I moved to New York, and I knew, you know, I knew all the kids. There's a big the high school jazz scene. So, yeah, and then I was in New York, like, trying to be jazz, and I wasn't using any, had gotten rid of all my pedals. I mean, I, I didn't get rid of them. I use them now, but, uh, you know, just, dr- like, trying to be a real player. You know, I guess, in a way, uh, it was like the jam band thing was coming in, and... So, is this, like, early 2000s, kind of? I graduated high school 2001. So yeah, late nineties or like that's coming. Like, I don't think that's like j- wanting to really like to really improvise and be free. You have to, it's like, you have to have your jazz, the uh, purest period, at least, at least five years, maybe. I don't, <laughs> and then you come out of it. So you're talking about, you know, just the varying degrees of you know being a jazz player you know being free and all that stuff and then you kind of talk about your history of being a steve i kind of in that wankery kind of thing yeah, i never really just when i was a kid like starting guitar it was like whoa but i didn't 
I never was a shredder uh, ever. I mean, I guess by that, yeah, by that time I had, it was, uh, just like modern blue, you know, like, okay, modern blues, this is what this is. Or, so, you know, just wanting to expand by that. Yeah. I mean, maybe I should have this um, and all respect. Steve Vai does some crazy cool shit. Yes. Uh, but no, that, that was just a tiny moment. Like that, it, it was really like. It was a launching pad to further exploration of different stuff. Yeah. Or just like that was my moment when I just started playing guitar. It would just like, oh, guitar, guitar yeah. stuff, you know. And then as soon as I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan, You're done. all bets were off. And that was like when I was 11, maybe. So, I mean, you know, it's like, and I had the Eric Johnson instructional videos. and But I had the Robin Ford instructional, you know, the ones that really got me were the Warren Haynes and the, and the Robin Ford videos, like on VHS, when I was a small child. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, it's just like, I got tired of one, four, five and, and I, well, and I had the, the Monterey thing and the jazz, I was going to jazz camp as part of just living there in that, you know, being lucky enough to like, oh, there's a jazz camp during the summer and these cats come to the high schools and middle schools five months a year. So I was learning that at the same time as I was, as we had our blues band that was kind of morphing into you know, James Brown tunes and Maceo and, and kind of more funkier territory towards the end of that band. And then I was starting to do jazz gigs at hotels and stuff with the jazz kids at the same time. So it was kind of this melding. And then I finally saw like, okay, jazz is the thing. So were you were, were you reluctant going into it? Because I mean, it sounds first you didn't want to do it, and then you kind of progressed over time. Were you reluctant, or did you just by that point you had actually fallen in love with it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I was reluctant when I first met my jazz mentor. That was like the middle of seventh grade. So that was when I was reluctant. Not many seventh graders love jazz. <laughs> I, that was when I was reluctant. You know, by you know by the sophomore year in high school, then I was for some reason. Well, I had been turned on to a couple. You know. I was going to guitar camp in Connecticut, meeting kids from various places, some of which I still know that are players. Uh, and, you know, like a friend said, check out Giant Steps. Like, okay, well, it's crazy. Like, wow. Like, that's really some shit. Like, that's some fast shit that he means to play. Uh, and then, but then I had this period as I started exploring where it was like, I just wanted to hear Eric Delphi and Woody Shaw and, out jazz and then by senior year of high school i was hank mobley in it up you know and then like okay well i'm going when i was a kid and i heard about berkeley college of music i was like oh well that's definitely where i'm going like are you kidding a college for guitar or and then you know and i had friends that went there they were a little older and visited it and by the time i was a senior I, you know, I was like, okay, New York, I could just got to go to New York. And I ended up not going to college. I mean, we checked out the colleges, but they're like glorified jazz camps in a way. And they're, they're great, you know, to meet people, but uh, yeah, whatever for, 
for whatever reason, my parents let me not go to college and I was a good student. Uh, but you know, I would hang out at the dorms with all my friends that were going to the new school and Manhattan school and NYU and just going out and playing and starting to go to jam sessions. And, and I, I was lucky to have this education all through high school, the end of middle school, all through high school in all of that, that didn't really click till about, I don't know, six months after I moved to New York city. And then it started to like, Oh, okay. I mean, with everything, I'm just trying to understand it in my own way. I mean, I guess everyone that's understanding, but it's, especially with music shit and like, theory and how you relate to core you know it just takes a long time for certain things to click and you you get a a light goes off and like oh i finally understand that you know and still now it's like I finally under- i know the frequencies now i think I, you know whatever whatever it is so uh, it's a lot more you it was a lot more hands-on learning than you would have gotten in school i mean it sounds like you you really wouldn't have got the same education had you actually gone to a formal education yeah, I mean, it's like I saw what was happening. I mean, it was just access. Like, you know, you go to jazz school because you can, they'll pay for you to take private lessons with Kurt Rosenwinkel or wh- whoever you want. Uh, and you're playing with all the kids, but like the kids that are good start touring and miss their classes and what, you know, end up doing the same thing. While paying the school. But you saved a lot of money in the process, essentially. That was the idea, right? Uh, So, yeah. Well, and and what I say about it is it took a few months. Like, my dad and I drove across the country. We found a place. 2001 internet. You know, we were amazed. Easyroommate.com or whatever. (laughs) Found a place. He left. I'm there with two 25-year-old dudes that were going to Manhattan school. and it was just a cut like Peter Bernstein was playing at smoke every Monday, two blocks down the street. And there was a jam at Cleopatra's needle on 82nd. And I lived there for three months and then met some other dudes and ended up moving to Queens into a place where we could play. And that was huge. And we had, you know, radical, one of the dudes worked at the fancy drum shop in Midtown. So we had the nicest kit. And so Anyone that we met, you could invite them over for a session, the ja- the the jazz session style, free for fun jamming a jam, uh, and it's like oh well, it actually is better to just invite these guys over, and we're here, you know, maybe drinking some beers, maybe smoking some herbs, but like you know, as equals, not exactly. I mean, all respect due to the the real guys or whatever. But like, I was like, you know, that was cool and really, yeah, a lot of time doing that and, and people that I, you know, yeah, you're just meeting people. And at that time, I mean, I can't imagine now doing the same thing just cause it's so much more expensive and hard to, it's not a book music, the music business is not a good business. If you want to make money, you know, it's gotta be for the love. <laughs> so what was i, I kind of asked this question earlier but what was that transition from that jazz phase you were going through into what you became a freak grows in brooklyn i mean was that an album you'd been working on for years kind of how did that start how did you get there from jazz to that album 
you know, it's like a jazz thing. I was doing that and it's like playing with dudes that I loved and heroes and, you know, we're playing at some bar for 50 bucks and which is great. Uh, but like, oh, this is it. Okay. And then, you know, started to do more sidemans to, you know, just like bluesy or whatever, just guitar man, sideman gigs, you know, bringing out the distortion pedal again bringing out some effects again so you know and then and then it was like yeah i kind of wanted to be a guitar man sideman guy you know so i did that for you you know and guys i mean i'll still do a pseudo jazz gig from time to time but you know it's like there was there was a long period of time where it's like yeah i just said yes to everything jazz gigs sideman gate like whatever you're doing club dates and weddings and little tours with whoever, you know, singer-songwriters, whatever it is, all the things you do. Uh, was that creatively fulfilling for you? Was that, I mean, did that, did that make you feel time, like, yeah? At the time, for sure. Uh, I mean, that was what, I, yeah, I rode the wave. You know, it's like if you, you go to New York where, you know, I mean, that's the, if you want to be a player, that's where I'd say you should go. Because that's where they uh, the most concentration of them, every style, highest level are. I mean, you know, LA's got a bunch and Nashville's got a bunch, and but I guess for the jazz thing to, you know, it's like, yeah. So there's these, you know, just want to be that thing, right? What is that like, studio man? But it's also the breakdown of the business, so studio changes and it ends up being at home more, and then I'm writing jingles and. I mean, I guess a few years in, I started to, I had a, you know, my first recording computer. Mm -hmm. So then I was kind of just somehow in the back of my mind, I thought like, I remember as a younger kid, like if there was a way like write actual songs that combine all the things, but like aren't too jazzy, I guess that's the old record. So like too jazzy for me now uh but like figuring out this so i was writing songs you know make demos and like and then and playing with tons of songwriters and kind of like that was the scene post Nora jones downtown new york lots of singer songwriters so i'm playing guitar with a lot of those people and you know, kind of working on my own thing. And then, yeah, made one of those records. Like, okay, I'm going to do some songs with my, with my bros and, you know, try to combine the thing. But then uh, a couple years of that, which was an education and business stuff, you know, just go. And as all friends are going through business stuff too, and seeing how it all works. And then I kind of dropped off, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to, to you know it it wasn't my priority to be a solo artist in 2009 and you know went back to sideman studio jazz man run around all night guy uh so when did work actually begin on the album when did you start dedicating time to making it happen i mean probably th those recordings started 2006 17 probably there was a whole thing before that i had a business you know i'd recorded some of the songs 
there's actually another podcast with that whole story but yeah uh you know when i decided to like do this on the cassette eight track i was starting to get to know that machine yeah 2016 2017 and probably two years But, but also making money with other stuff you know so i can't use all the time for that but let's i heard you talking about the cassette recording can you talk can you tell me a little bit about that again can you just kind of tell me how that happened and why you chose to do it that way yeah you know i had gotten i so in my jazz times you'd play at people's apartments and so you know you get together and i could kind of play in the apartment i was living in for a long time or we could play in the first, you know, I never had a space. And then at some point there, I got a space with a bunch of friends and I had, there were a couple of four track recorders lying around the house and I started to take those down to the space. And since there were drums and stuff, I was just fucking around making track, you know, just four track, like put drums on two bass guitar, like, wow, oh, I fuck with the speed and, and and the guitar sounds so much more like the thing, you know? And it, it, that's the th- it's like I got the, com- when I really started trying to write songs was the beginning of computer recording. And then obviously years of that and playing on a bazillion computer recorded records, only a couple tape recorded records. But for what I am, it's like, I don't even, I'm not even sure there's any record that I like that was, that was at least not recorded to tape first, didn't hit, hit tape from the microphone. So yeah, it's that, it's like struggling for years to try and get the computer to sound like something. And, and also, you know, the non limitations of it for a guitar player is a terrible recipe. Uh, so it was like, okay. I was having fun with the four tracks and then I had bought the eight track Tascam's like biggest cassette offering, which gives you eight tracks on a cassette and it sat around. I sent it back to Tascam, paid him a bunch of money to fix it. That has all those parts have been thrown away and that, that place is closed and they fired everyone threw it all away since then. Uh, and then eventually I got to know that eight track thing. It's like, okay, I can do the eight tracks is enough. Like, or just do it in eight track, make the goddamn fucking thing in eight on the, and the analog, you know, it's like the only way I can say I'm done with this and put it out by myself is like, it's gotta be tape. It's like, I could feel real about it because I know that it was real. And do you think it would have lacked soul if you had done it all through a computer? It can't be done. It can't be done. It... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, you know, I make a lot of computer music for money. Uh, and like some, you know, it sounds better and better and the technology's come a long way. And I mix this in the, you know, I'm not trying to, but for funky music or like blues, jazz, like, you know, subtle touch music or i mean i don't know i get <laughs> the record's pretty compressed and blasting so <laughs> but just like for old style music these the, the lineage of this music that we love and it's like that's the thing that's and even the uh, you know the new records of that idiom it, i don't know i mean it's a conversation that i have constantly 
with my friend, you know, just talking and talking and talking about it. But it's also just the work. It's like, okay, I said, I don't want to look at a computer. It's like, I could take that eight track and I could go. I had a walk-in closet that was like my studio apartment room. And then I, this warehouse space, so I could take it back and forth and it was analog and I didn't have to look at a computer till the, th- you know, till it sounded kind of like a record. Uh, so that's, you know, that and, you know, guitar, rock guitar, I can spend four hours tweaking on a multi-mic computer recorder guitar and I can get it to sound like Hendrix kind of, but I could also just slam it into a cassette or slam it into some tape and it's already that, you know, or there's more to it, but it's that it's like, there it is. Bam. That's it. So long, long answer. No, it's beautiful. That was, it was a love story. I loved every second of it. That was great. (laughs) I'm very passionate about it. No, no, it's fantastic. I loved it, man. That was great. I loved it. Well, so, I mean, talking about love letters, man, when I listened to the album and I'm not a lyrics guy, I'm really not a lyrics guy, but I, I was reading the lyrics as I was listening to the album the other day. There's a lot of happy lyrics on this album, man. Were you going through a really great period when you were writing these? Or is that just your personality? Like, what was like, there's a lot of happy stuff there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had met my life partner, so that was definitely happy. But, I th- you know, it's the, the music is everything. It's kind of like my own meditation in a way, I guess, or even now when I'm working on stuff, it's like, yeah, I've got it. This is, <laughs> if there's no other positivity, this is where it needs to be. It needs to be in here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's certain friends that would definitely say I'm not a happy guy, but. I mean, you seem pretty happy to me. Maybe I just bring out the best in you. Maybe that's what I'm hearing well, right now. Talking about this stuff, like this is the <laughs> happy stuff. There's a lot of unhappy stuff. I mean, yeah. When I wake up and I'm still caught in my news addiction, uh, you know, there's plenty of unhappy stuff. But, but no, trying to make a recording that's fucking happy. You know, yeah. like that. Or yeah, I'm having a great time making. I mean, that's the. It's. It the brings out the best thing, in you. Well, it's supposed to be fun. It's like my whole, I mean, if we talk about live music, like the point of music for me is fun, you know, and that's kind of guided my life for better or worse. Like, yeah, I don't, you know, like why I'm, because it can be like truck driving, depending on what you're doing. I mean, not as bad, of course, but sure, like. The fun, like, what is the point? Like, honestly, I don't want to not have fun because, I mean, you got to make money too. It's it's a complicated thing, but but yeah, no, I'm trying, you know, trying to catch some fun on some tape. Well, so how do you how do you balance that fun and trying to make money off of it? Then, like, I mean, how do you how do you find that and still have the inspiration to make happy lyrics in the middle of that? I mean, is that where those jingles and the the gigs and everything come in? Yeah, I mean, I don't make money off of Ryan Scott. I mean, now now I'm making a little bit of money, which is really great. I mean, it's beautiful off of this stuff, but, you know, it's never been my bread and butter. I mean, yeah, I've never, not until this thing have I ever made any money off of my own music, you know. I mean, music that I write, but someone else owns the publishing or what, you know. 
it's not for public consumption. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's on the TV, but it, but uh, it's cheesy crap that I make. Yeah, so money comes. That's the thing. It's like all of these things. Okay, yeah, I want to be a jazz guy. Like, oh, 50 bucks a night. Like, I know soldiers that I commend and love that do it. Uh, but that's a tough life. I mean, it's just like, yeah, just like trying to have some kind of happiness. Uh, well, I mean, and talking about happiness and lyrics, I mean, you're a guitar guy. I mean, that's, I mean, even your, the URL for your website is Ryan Scott guitar. I mean, right. it, and everything I see about you is guitar. So where is, where's the balance of being a guitar man and having to write lyrics is writing lyrics, just part of the craft that you have to do, or is that just something that you enjoy? Where, what's, where do lyrics fit into being a guitar yeah, guy? I mean, guitar is my third arm let's say or like but you know i guess i'm just getting further and further away from the guitar man thing you know like wanting it because now you know i play i mean i've played some guitar i've made another record that i'm will hopefully be done in two months exactly or maximum three uh so there's guitar solos and stuff but but i probably only played guitar for like 50 hours in the last two years wow. you know like it's not, I also don't have a great guitar right now or these need repair. It's just not high on the list. Like, yeah, I get, I'm just, the, the dream is to just, I guess, make some compelling records or, or that would have to be a song, I guess, or songs. Yeah. Song like real, just trying to write real songs. I, you know, I mean, which is a lifelong quest that you never answer, but. So do you just see yourself maturing as an artist then essentially? I mean, yeah, as of late, I'm just trying to do this. I mean, I'll branch off and make some cash for a minute, but, and then come back to it. But the idea, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure going forward the thing that feels right is just like kind of being down here working on my own things or just trying to get some stuff that I get excited about on the tape uh, or like that quest. That's the quest. So guitar is like, yeah, you know, it's definitely a part of it ideally, or I'll do, you know, I'll put all the solos on guitar, <laughs> but trying to figure out everything else. So it's like, yeah, the, the singing and the yeah the lyrics it's like well that's the most important thing when i'm trying to do that and like the because the guitar is easy like that that's the easiest part for me i just pick it up and go and ideally yeah just pick it up and like this sounds totally cheesy but like and just emote with it you know in a in a fast one two take reaction and then go back to a bazillion drum takes or whatever, you know, or singing the song 70 times and tweaking the words. I mean, I hear the guitar solo in Stomp Your Feet and like that thing just, I mean, that thing rips. Like that's a great solo. I love that solo. I love that solo. So I mean, like how many takes did that take? And I mean, do you just find yourself just pull, pulling that out of your body and then moving on to the next thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably a couple. It's like two, probably two or three takes and then some touch-ups. Yeah, so for a record, you want to make a record that sounds like something. So you you do everything you can to make it sound like a record. But yeah, no, I mean, it's the idea of the, you know, I mean, is improvisation. I guess that that's the jazz element is like 
trying to be a true improviser and play changes coherently and melodically and be singing with the guitar. So, you know, that's the thing. So like the, and it's finding this kind of raw Wu-Tang soup of like, yeah, it's me playing all the instruments, but like somehow keeping some wild inspiration in the moment in there, you know, which is, yeah, like first takes usually the best for for that kind of thing you know so that's what's nice about the tape it's like okay do the first take leave it come back to it later like with the guitar that's what i always do it's like okay just leave it because right now you're definitely not going to like it and i'm my absolute worst critic in the world you know just hard for me to think anything that i did is okay you know it's like that record's just like okay it's just good enough, you know, just like, yeah, okay, I gotta stop. That's it. Okay, that's good enough. Like, oh, there's things that I'm like, oh, God, I can't hear it. But I'm, but I'm proud of that one. That one, you know, I think it says what I want to say, so. Well, so, I mean, even following that up with, like, just talking about the, the jazz improv and stuff, there are no extensively long solos on this album. I mean, they're all pretty right. compact. Was that, a, was that a, a choice you made, or was it just kind of how it turned out? Would you consider doing longer solos? <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, I, I should also say I have <laughs> a lot of asking. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like uh, I, I should say I have a lot of bias. I'm a deadhead. I'm a fish fan. Right. I love jam bands. Yeah. I love yeah, yeah. improv and jazz. Like, so I mean, like personally, like the freak in me is like, play longer, man. Go longer. Go 15 right. minutes. No, totally. Well, live, it's always much. Yes. Longer. Okay. Good. Uh, that makes me happy. But yeah, you know, I mean, just trying to make a ra- the the dream. Of that, like I remember sitting in the closet, and I was in the closet a lot with the door shut. You know, in the middle of the night, Jen's sleeping. I'm in the closet, fucking singing over and over with the cassette machine. <laughs> like, yeah, if I could, ju- like, is there just dreaming about, like, could I make something on this cassette machine in this closet that would get played on the radio, perhaps? You know, like, so it's got to be short solos. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. There's kind of long solo on one of them, right? That's kind of yeah. Long. You're right. There is the one. You're what? It's one of the last two songs, right? Which one? It's the uh, new tunes are longer. The new tunes have longer stuff. So I mean, this is like a really cliche question, but I have another question that I want to ask, and I'm afraid I might offend you in some of that answer. So I want to hear your answer first. No worries, dude. And it, I, I don't mean actually offend. It's more of a no. joke. Uh, so <laughs> who were some of the influences? on when you were making this album like who were who were you listening to who really impacted your decision making and your style and everything like that when you were making a freak gross in brooklyn i mean i think honestly it's like that was when i stopped listening do you absorb too much when you do that if if well you you know i'm a student i'm i'm a fucking studier guy so it's like that i guess that it took that long to study all of the shit you know collect all these records and know all these records and know every note of certain ones you know and then okay put it away now what's the you know just kind of hammering away at my own thing trying to figure out i mean i'm still doing it Outside, you probably watched the beatles thing i hope oh yeah it was fantastic yeah so you know it's like you're just watching it's like yeah you just keep working on it and editing it and 
throwing it away and starting a new one and keep working on it and editing it. You know, it took me whatever, 35, 36 years to finally go the full duration to the point, you know, where I thought, okay, I think I've figured something out. So, you know, I mean, when I think about one man band records, definitely. Yeah. I'm thinking about McCartney. I'm thinking about Sly Stone. I'm thinking about Prince and, uh, Jeff Lynn, Todd Rundgren. I mean, those are the, yeah, those are the inspiration. Sly, Todd Rundgren, Prince, Paul's first, Stevie. What am I talking? Oh, Stevie yeah, number Stevie, one. Yeah, I definitely hear that one. Because yeah, those, sure. when I was in high, you know, it's like ta- those records, I know every single note. And that was, you know, what that's kind of always been the music that most spoke to me. So it's like, yeah, my childhood dream of coming full circle and trying to make a one man band record like Stevie, but but with a guitar player instead with a bad keyboard player. Uh, well, so, I mean, the reason, the reason I framed it like that is because I was having a conversation with a guy one time uh, and I told him I was a big classic rock fan. And he right. said, do you like Steve Miller band? And I was just like, I've never put a lot of thought into it. And he said, that's the clearest way I know if somebody's actually a classic rock fan or not is if they say yes or no, because according to this guy, Steve Miller band was uncool and that nobody liked Steve Miller band. And I was like, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's for some reason it stuck with me. And for every time I, I hear Steve Miller band, I'm like, somebody out there thinks this guy's uncool. And so it kind of determines He's when fucking cool as shit. Okay. He's then cool you're going to, then you're going to love this. When I, I was listening to your album and I kept thinking, I was like, there's somebody that it sounds like, and somebody I'm connected. And it was Steve Miller band. For some right. reason, I hear Steve Miller band when I listen to your album. It, I've gotten a couple people saying that. Definitely. Okay, that makes me feel a lot better. And it makes me feel a lot better that you're cool with Steve Miller because Well, think, you know, sorry, I'm cutting you off here. No, 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 keep Steve going. Miller, I didn't know this till the, I don't know uh, the last 5 or 6 years, but Steve Miller's got full cred. T-Bone Walker taught him to play guitar when he was uh, a kid. He I was didn't... in Chicago during the heyday playing around and then you know write these amazing songs wrote these amazing songs uh well and those what first four five albums are not what you hear on the radio i mean that's a completely different steve miller band too right well and you know one of the one with the seven hits was him by himself on an eight track machine i found that story yeah i mean some some people played on it too but i guess he's about like took the machine for 18 months and just sat there and went into his closet while his out. wife was sleeping yeah, and exactly. did it, did the thing. Exactly. Well, that makes me feel better that I'm not the only person that heard Steve Miller band. And it makes me feel even better that you like Steve Miller and you're, you're well, on the they're just mad. Cause he's so rich from those songs you know, <laughs> mad. Cause he got so many goddamn hits. There we go. See, I mean, I, th- I personally, I think like a band like the Eagles, like that's a band that you can kind of determine somebody's classic rock cred a little better with. They're a little more seventies rock. Than they are classic rock. I mean, I I am an Eagle supporter. I'm not against them. Me and my dad. No, got totally. To go. Watching that movie, Henley's killer. He's fucking killer. Yeah, it's a great. They're a great band. Like, yeah, you know, they get. I think they just get a lot of crap because of that one line in the Big Lebowski. You know, where he's talking about how much he hates the Eagles, and you know, it's like they're not that bad. Come on, people. There's worse bands out there. 
Like, give me a break. Well, so. it's overplayed. Hotel California, I don't need to hear ever again. Oh, no, never. You know, that's the pre- I think that's really what it, I heard it the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah. But it's just yeah, that I, kind of shit. I started reading Don Felder's autobiography a couple nights ago, and I, I'm really excited about getting into this thing, man. He, yeah. He's such a good underrated guitar player. Like, just nice. super classic. So anyway, we've gone off track. I'm sorry, man. Uh, so oh. last question about the album. Uh, and then we'll start talking some live stuff. So you're not really a big internet guy, social media. I mean, you know, it's managed in-house here. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm just old enough. Yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. no. So, I mean, the question is, I mean, I was getting to the point of like, you don't really, you're not a social media guy. Your wife manages a decent part of it, from my understanding. Uh, you have two songs that have more than a million streams on Spotify. Like, how, do, how does that make you feel? Like, how do you, do you feel like the album's performing pretty well, especially considering you don't have much of a social media presence. Fuck yeah. Totally. It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. Plus I own it a hundred percent. It just goes right into my bank account uh, without any delay from anyone else, you know? So overall uh, you're pleased with how the album is performing and how you've seen it grow and everything like that. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's uh, the robots being pretty nice to me. I mean, that's how I got, that's how I found it was Spotify recommended it to me uh, right. based on my taste. Uh, and that's, I was like, it's a great album cover, really cool album cover, man. Whoever did that, that did a great Jen job. Did that. Oh, well, she, fantastic, that's man. As well. man, she did a great job. That's such a cool cover, man. Well, and that's a big part of it. You know, it's just kind of like a perfect storm of, I mean, Jen was the, you know, kind of like forcing me to get it done. Like you need to do this and fucking finish it. And then she made the most kick-ass visual for it. So, you know, I, it got a little bit of serious XM play, which helped those two songs, I think kind of like jump up. But the thing, you know, I, I didn't play the Spotify game with the singles and all that. Cause I finished it. And I was like, I put it up the next day. So it's all just the robot, but yeah, the robot works pretty well. I, I must say it's pretty cool. So um, is, is wheels one of the songs that got some X in play? Is that one yeah, of the, that man, the I love that song. How, how do you feel about that song? I love that song. Yeah. I like that song. You know, it's, you like, it's hard you, for me to, you like, you don't to... love. That's it. That's it. That's a choice of words right there. You like not love. I know, I mean, no, I, well, I, I don't love any, you know, it's hard for me to <laughs> say that to myself. You know, I got to keep hard assed about my own self. I, it, I'm, I'm motivated to keep going by not being satisfied, you know. But that, is it, do you not view it like some musicians, like that's your baby, that's your child that you produced and you birthed and all this? Is that, is that too cliche or like how do you feel in relation to that? I mean, it's and, a, yeah. <sighs> It's like doing this so long and playing on so many people's babies and watching dollars go down the toilet and, you know, all of these. It's like, yeah, it's hard for me to over the years, like, what is a record? Like, is this a record? Like, as far as I'm concerned, a record is like the things that I love that are, it's hard for me to even like, yes, now I will say my baby that, but that's a record. Now I'll say that, but like the old ones, I don't know. Like, is are they a record? Did I, if anyone ever hears it, is it a record? Or the, de- I mean, and that's what keeps. I just, I mean, it's just my fun life quest to 
try and make something that's like a real record that is competitive or so but you know it's hard for me to be like yeah that's i I love him that's it like no i don't you know yeah i'm i'm proud of it i think it's pretty cool to do it on you know like whatever i know it went into it it was hard work and and like it's there you know it's yeah that it it says the thing i wanted to say like yeah I, i can't I've listened to the vinyl a couple times since I got the vinyl, but like I haven't, you know, I put it out and that was enough and I haven't really listened to it. So it's just kind of onward. Like it's hard for me to, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's cool. I listened to a bit of it the other day and, and it's like, yeah, it's, I, I dig it. But I, it's just, I was there. I was there for every second of it by myself. So there, and then mixing it myself and like trying to fix the problems or what, you know, so it's just a, fucking head trip it's just a different experience for you then it's yeah. a different exp- you know i know every second of it so it's like oh oh that thing oh hope no one noticed that Ooh, ah, ooh. i'm like oh but actually so you know i put the vinyl I'm like yeah it sounds like a record like cool cool well uh, so did the did the title come from is it a play on the book uh what's it the betty smith book a tree grows in brooklyn sure, is it- yeah totally where where did the title come from then well classic book I was in Brooklyn. I was growing. I grew a lot. And I mean, I guess I was in Brooklyn for the, what, 15 years out of the, no, more than that, 17 years, all in all, so far, till, till if I go back. Uh, so yeah, I grew a lot. So it was really just more a summary of your time, like of you and your place with that album. Yeah, and just you know, kind of thought of it, and yeah, that's that's cool. All right, yeah, like I like something. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard with titles of of shit, titles of record. I mean, now we're struggling. <laughs> You're in that crunch because <laughs> I think that one ended up pretty good. No, that's a great title, man. When I saw that title, I was like, I def- I saw the artwork, and then I saw the title, and I said, I got to listen to this. I got to hear what this guy has to say. So I mean, no, it's it's, probably, I should need. I need to reread the book. It's it's been since high school, probably since I read the book. But I'm a freak, and I definitely spent. I I hope for the Brooklyn lokes that I spent enough time. I don't, you know, I feel a little bit bad. Like, oh, I didn't grow up in Brooklyn totally, but I lived there from 21 to 37, 38. So I, I'd say that's substantial enough to earn yeah. the title. I think you earned it. Yeah. So I was there. That was the main thing. Okay. That makes sense. I like it. Well, so, I mean, talking about New York and playing in Brooklyn and everything. So I wanted to talk about just kind of like, you know, something I was reading the other day talking about, there's no more scenes anymore as far as live music goes. You know, I think even like I live in Memphis, a historically known music city. However, most of our music cityness is known for our heritage rather than our current place there's not really a big scene here in Memphis anymore. If you hear blues, it's because you've gone to a pandering blues bar. You know, if you hear soul or something like that, it's probably like the four seasons or somebody playing in town, you know? So, and I think about that. So, I mean, even with your time in New York and your time now in Nashville, do you think that live music scenes are dying and a thing of the past, especially considering you can make an album in your basement in Iowa now? I mean, what do you think about that? Right. Why am I living in Nashville? 
I mean, yeah, the pandemic fucking decimated everything. Well, I mean, going back to what you said earlier about there was a jazz scene in New York. I mean, you said there was one and you played in that. I mean, was that something? Well, and there is, there is, and will continue to be, but it is very uh under i mean it's not underground like actually the the clubs downtown are kicking harder smalls and and mesro and some of these places i feel like are stronger than ever so like yeah that there's that's the thing new york has the jazz scene the jazz scene will never die but you know kids going there i'm not sure you can afford to live in new york and like educate yourself in the scene i or you know and and people I mean, even the course of the pandemic, some of the best cats of all cats went somewhere else, you know, or this is, it's a great migration. Uh, so it's all kind of up in the air, but as I was here talking to my friends in New York, whenever it started to open up, like it was opening up much more than I even felt Nashville. I mean, Nashville never closed in a way. Yeah. But. For the hipster scene, I think it kind of closed. And then, you know, New York was kicking pretty hard. Everyone is back, you know, and clubs have closed and that thing. I mean, it, but yeah, certain friends I talked to is like, well, the scene's dead now. Or the, everyone that was in doubt really got a wake up call or was like of how to survive, you know? Yeah. Can you record in your basement? Like, do you? How do you make money? Well, since, I mean, mean, since, since recording can be, it's so decentralized now because like you, I mean, anybody can do it anywhere now. I mean, does it matter? Does location matter? Cause I mean, in, you know, the sixties, seventies and stuff, you had to be in a New York or Nashville or Los Angeles to get, to meet other musicians, to meet, to make contacts and things like that. Do you think it's still an important part? Do you think location still plays an important part of making music? I mean, I think definitely plays a part in learning to play well but that but but no i mean it's all changed since i was in high school that's the thing it's like this ability did not exist in 2001 to make something and throw it up on the internet and like it, anyone can get it anywhere in the world right on their phone and that's how everyone gets it you know so yeah it's cha- i mean for live music you got to be where there's good players. I mean, if you want to make a record, you got to be in a city where you can put together a band of killers and do, you know, if if you're trying to do something like that, then you, yeah, you got to go to one of these cities, but it's so much easier to connect with anyone now, which is kind of my, you know, it's like, I, uh, I I've been playing in bars since I was 12 years old and the pandemic was actually, I mean, as terrible as it was for so many, you know, I mean, it's like for some of us, it was like a good break. Mm-hmm. Or I was already thinking like, man, I love seeing my friends and like, these are nice, fun bar gigs or whatever, but kind of need a break or how long am I going to keep doing this in this capacity or whatever? And And this record was made and, you know, yeah, now, honestly, I feel still kind of feel like I can do more damage out of the basement than running around town. I mean, 
So did which is play, not totally true. But. Well, I mean, did, did playing live lose some of its like luster for you, or is, is it just burnout from doing all those different gigs and being the sideman type? Well, and by the end, I was doing my own. You know, it's like I was playing solo every Monday for the past three years. Before that, I mean, I guess I stopped September 2019 at the place where I'd played. 200 of my own gigs and 300 of other people's gigs uh, you know it's a combination combination of burnout but like and just thinking <sighs> what is my ideal like what's the the playing live playing situation that i i have a fun time you know just like have, i i've booked some gigs that have you know fallen through or i canceled and it's like yeah i was essentially paying to play still or I would play solo every Monday and, you know, friends would come and there'd be cats and like, it was super fun and cool, but sometimes there aren't people there. And regardless of that, I'm walking with 40 bucks minus 15 for my second tequila. Cause I only get one drink minus the tip for the bartender, you know, 15 bucks. Like, and I'm an adult professional dude and it's not, it's, but it's not about the money. Re- I wasn't doing it for the money. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard. People are asking, like, what are you coming to the place? It's like, yeah, I want to come. But it's like, at this point, I have to save up my own money and blow it to come and play. To, to pay the bet. You know, it's like, because I need to get musicians that I love. You know, it's too many years of pickup band. And, you know, some of the best pickup bands ever. But it's also like, the dream's always kind of been like, if I could just get a little bit of cash so that I could pay the cats to get together. And, you know, they'd be down to get together. They say, but everyone's busy. If you want to get the real musicians, they're fucking busy. So the only way that everyone can be really happy about it is like, hey, come down, even 50 bucks a man, come down once a week and we'll hit these tunes and like put a real show together. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a complicated answer, but. No, no, no. I I mean, did it get worse because of the pandemic or was it that bad pre-pandemic? I mean, I guess that was the situation pre-pin. I mean, whatever. I had my gig. I had my Monday gig. I had like a every other Tuesday where, yeah, we'd we'd each walk three of us with 80 bucks minus whatever, which is fine. Like, that's a solid New York City bar gig and friends come and like musicians come and it's cool and like talk to dudes I don't get to talk to. Uh, but I was just doing that. You know, it's like years of doing that. And it's getting better. Like, I, I'm not... It's important, but yeah, I just like, I was burnt out on it now since the pandemic, you know, trying to book a gig in New York and it's like, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. It's just the game. Like, okay, well, 20% of 250 tickets, if it sells out, it's pay to play, still pay to play. So yeah, right now. I'm feeling like I don't want to play. I'm like, I'm willing to not play unless I can not even make some money, but just like enough to pay the band and like not lose money, which I know is a lot to ask. And you got to sacrifice. It just, I've sacrificed. I mean, whatever. I, I'm not trying to whine about it, but it's like, sure, no, I hear you. it's like, uh, I'm burnt out. Uh, and here in Nashville, you know, it's like, I have friends here, but it's again, you know, I got to put the band together. I want to, pay them you know at least like a hundred bucks to like make them everyone happy each so that's 
300 bucks to get three dudes. It's complicated. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, that, that was going to be my question was if, if it wasn't so pay to play, would be playing live your preference to being in the studio or is the studio more fulfilling? I mean, the studio is pretty fulfilling in a way just because it, I'm trying, you know, it's like this quest of, can I make a record here? And like, now I got this 16 track tape machine, you know, I'm gradually getting my, the cheapest of everything to kind of replicate what it would be like to be in a real studio. And as I've spent years and years and years learning to do it, it's like, yeah, that's, you know, can I do it? Like what's the, it's, it's just on me to make a record here. I mean, paying for the time or having time to do it and paying the rent at the same time is a, another thing. But, but it's like, yeah, I can kind of make more money selling songs or whatever than going out on the road side, man. It's always been this balance, too, of those things, you know, as, as payment for band, touring has got less. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, the writing writing's where it's at and but yeah no i mean i want to play i want to play you know i might wait till next year just have this rest of chill time to get my mind together because i want to you know i mean it's definitely i'm pretty sure like if i was meant to do anything that's part of what i was meant to do if i could sound like a ego asshole or whatever but like i kind of i don't know i can't really do anything else so but yeah it's it's funny because yeah i, I kind of have a negative outlook i mean not really but it's just that thing you know it's like ah all right i'm not gonna go back to new york yet i mean i want to see my friends but it's like yeah i don't want to pay i don't want to pay sounds like it's just a bummer of the realities of being a musician essentially I mean, right no saying. totally totally I mean, it, it's not that you're whining it's just it's the hardship of the job. That's the reality. Yeah, that's the reality of, of the game. And it's not a lot of money. It's just, I'm really enjoying, I thought my break was the pandemic, but it turns out, like, of course, that wasn't a break. You kidding? We were all losing our fucking minds. Uh, so, it's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm kind of stable. Like, the record's doing good. It's moving forward. I, you know, the th the thing that needs to get done is more songs to listen to on, you know, not live. And then that's kind of, it's like, I'm just, you know, finish this thing, take a break, probably make some money doing other shit for a minute. And then next year start to figure out, okay, let's do a tour or trying to build, honestly, trying to build up a little bit more demand, you know, just so like I can get a, $500 guarantee or something. Yeah, you know, justify the beans a little more. Just to cover the bases. And then then the boys will come for cheap, you know. I mean, everyone wants to do it, but I want it to be, like, kind of nice or, like, not even that, but, like, we just, like, doable where we're not pulling our hair out. So, yeah, it's coming. But so far, just one gig a year. <laughs> That's okay. So yeah. let's flip the script. Tell me what you have to promote. Plug me something. Give me something that you're excited about, something to look forward to. What what can we plug for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess still that that record of Freak Grows in Brooklyn for those that haven't heard it. Uh, it's fantastic, and you should drop what you're doing. You should stop listening to this episode. Go listen to it right now. It's amazing. Like I said, it's one of my top five. It's incredible. You know, uh, maybe in your car, your truck, kind of loud. Uh, so everyone like hears that. it. 
Yeah, well, it's 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 a little lo-fi, so it's meant to bump a, a system in a car, ideally. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for for listening to it. And oh, it's your great. Kind words about it. Uh, that in in preparation for the next thing that doesn't have a title, but another nine songs that will be. You know, I think I'm gonna play singles game on Spotify, but I'll put it up on. I I think I can put it up on Bandcamp in its entirety and slowly trickle onto Spotify for that game. So ideally, when I finish it, I will be up on Bandcamp so that all the fun people that want to hear it can finally hear it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's that's my goal. Unfortunately, there's no title yet. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate your time today, man. This has been a blast. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and hearing all about this album that I love so much. So I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Well, Lance, thank you so much for for having me. It's super sweet and you're too kind. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes or connect with us on Twitter at ConcertPod or on Instagram at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.